0: Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and this is the show that inspires curiosity, thoughtfulness and empathy. Today I'm catching up with Samantha Rank. I look different, like there's no way of saying
1: I look different and people can stare and glare and, and they do. And I remember bursting into tears in the car park, just absolutely exhausted and just fed up and frustrated because still deep down inside I was like I'm wonderful, I am wonderful but why why can't the world see that and it annoyed me because I was like what do you see when you look at me because I genuinely love myself
0: but you keep telling me time and time again that I shouldn't Actress, broadcaster, writer and disability rights campaigner, Samantha Renk is one of the people I've gotten to know online over the pandemic. So finally getting to meet her in person at a central London studio was just the best day ever. Samantha has an incredible innate sense of core confidence, but the rest of the world has done its best over the years to knock that, treating her differently because of her disability. However, she's also, in her own words, gobby. Her experiences have made her gorgeously loud in speaking up about ableism, as well as giving others the confidence to raise their voices. Another thing you'll notice about Samantha is that she is an absolute sauce pot. The cheeky laugh on this woman is infectious. She's got the best laugh in the world. I'll be completely honest, I'm not entirely sure when we started recording today's chat. <laughs> that is the beauty of this show. These conversations are very much ongoing. So you'll join us as we just happen to be discussing nipple hair. Right, let's do the show. I don't know how I feel about that. What, that screen?
1: Yeah, it's a bit weird. It's
0: like Big Brother, they're all just watching us. It's a little bit, but it's a little. (laughs) Hiya!
1: I want to do something really inappropriate, like get a nipple out or something.
0: <laughs> let's do you see. You want th- to see nipple people? Let's Yay! see where the podcast goes. Let's see where it takes us, babes. Right? Are you good to go? Not that anything changes when I start. We just no, carry on not chatting really. about let's, nipples. Let's go
1: for it. Let's talk about nipples.
0: <laughs> I haven't plucked my hair though. So yeah. It'll be. It'll be like. It'll be like a gorilla. I get a hair that comes out of this mole yeah, that I have to. Too. It's like a proper witch. Yeah. Oh, but these grow that up to here, man. they? Yeah, really bad. I, look, I must be really fun to pluck. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but then I sometimes do it in front of my window and I forget where I live is in the city and there's offices, so
0: I'm sat there in the, in the mirror going like that with my top off. Yeah. Uh, um, Samantha, I, oh, yeah. I, I can officially say we've started the podcast. I we think we'll keep that bit in. I quite like that. Um, talking about nipples and such. This is such a cool day because we've been chatting now for yonks, yeah. but this is the first time we've met in the flesh. Absolutely. And it's nothing's changed. We just, no. We've just continued. It's our first date. It's our first. Date, yeah, and we've already bonded on on the phone, and on Zoom, and on text over cats and clothes and life and, 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 and nipple and hair <laughs> and pubic hair. The other day, pubic, pubic hair. What did I ask you? <laughs> Wait, no, I know what it is. There's a there's a line in your book. Bloody hell, it's a line in your book where you say your pubes are so straight, straight. it's like you've GHD them. Yeah, they are. My sister used to like really, really
1: ridicule me about it. She's like, "Why are your pubes so straight? That's not normal." Is it like a sort of straight curtain affair? It's, it's just like a, a toupee, <laughs> and I've got a really podgy vagina as well. So it literally looks like it's a separate person. You know, like a twin, like a is it parasitic twin or something? I know, no wonder I'm single. can <laughs> on, bear I it. I know. Mine. Are, I mean, I'm getting stuck in. You've shared. <laughs> I'm sharing. Might have got a wave to yeah, them. Yeah, you told me the wavy, which yeah. which I thought you were just being sympathetic to me, like not to make me
0: feel more like a loser. No, they're not full on curly. Okay, okay. there's a gentle wave. A gentle wave. A, j- a crimp, not a crimp. Eighties a crimp. <laughs> pubes. Oh my god, bring bring back crimping. I crimped my hair the other day. Did you? <laughs> it looks wicked.
1: I love crimping.
0: I love yeah. crimping. It Are makes you... your hair fall out, but it's amazing. Yeah. But you can just
1: do it if you do like French braids. Like if it's damp hair and leave yeah, yeah, it yeah. in. Then you get the same,
0: the same bouffant. I love that. Yeah. Oh, we've covered so much already and we're literally seconds in. <laughs> we're but done. Like... Can I go? <laughs> no. No. We've got so much to talk about. Because I set you a task that mm-hmm. you not only said yes to but executed so beautifully and that is to write a book i said please yes. do you write a book for happy place books and i've got it in my hands right now you're the best thing since sliced bread how do you feel about this beauty i mean look I mean, at the cover pretty. look do you know what i love the cover
1: the most so we we obviously i worked with some graphic designers and they sent me a whole host through and i loved all of them and i and i think specifically i said to my agent i went i love them but they're just, what what's the word? And I went, they're missing a bit of spunk. Yes. And I was just like, I can't believe I used the word spunk in an email to all the <laughs> like the publicist and my agent. I went, but do you know what I mean? It needs a bit of Samantha spunk. Yeah, it does though. Yeah, and, and I think that's what the whole book has yep. and the cover absolutely has. And, random bit of fun fact for you if you get the book, which obviously you, you will, <laughs> um, the picture at the back, I'm wearing some leopard print trousers and they are a spitting image of... Of the leopard print on the front cover. And I love how the universe works because I had these trousers for years. I had them altered because I've got wonky legs. And I just never worn them. I'm like, mm, I love them. Mm. And I came that close on at least four or five occasions of just like getting rid of them. Never do. And then I and then when the book cover was finalised, I opened my drawer and they were lying literally on top. And I was like, You are got to be kidding me. So yeah.
0: They're the best. That's such a gorgeous photo. I love it. I love it. And the book's so brilliant because it's this gorgeous combination of being part memoir but also this manifesto to get everybody. You're encouraging vocally people to like themselves, Mm -hmm. which is a huge problem for most people, myself included, that we slip into self-loathing. We have a nasty voice going Mm. on in our heads constantly telling us we should have done this better. You know, that wasn't great. This person doesn't like me, whatever it might be. And you've managed to over the years eradicate a lot of a lot that. Of oh, yeah,
1: I'm not uh, by, by no means like I still have my absolute moments of proper. You're well, very honest you're, about that. In the book. You're, you know, and, I, and one of the chapters in there, it kind of feels like I've just kind of, you know, said all this positivity and then this one chapter sounds like a contradiction. But I wanted to be very honest. Like I am not perfect, nor would I want it to be. I think, and that's fine. And I think when we, look for people for guidance and we ask people, you know, like how have they how have they overcome things or how are they successful? We expect them to be perfect and we expect them to have all the answers and we expect them to say, Well I don't have a bad day and you know, this is what I'm going to tell you. And if you just follow these steps then, you know, you'll be, you know, perfect and yeah. happy. And, you know, I say I don't wake up, I'm not a Disney princess. I don't wake up with like birds tweeping and saying la la, la <laughs> Which I mean that would be kind of cool. But, you know, normally I wake up with a Sphinx cat on my head and I'm, you know normally teabagging them. Do you know what I mean? Like Bruno literally teabags me, which I talk about in my book. I've got Sphinx cats, by the way. Oh, they're so gorgeous.
0: I mean, you need to just go to Samantha's Instagram because there's many pictures (laughs) and montages of these gorgeous, gorgeous creatures. You put put them on your stories. They're so beautiful. And you've got two, Bruno and Lola. Bruno
1: and Lola, who are more famous than me. Went to an event the other night and I was going, you know, I've got two cats. And someone went, yeah, Bruno and Lola. And I was like... (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> but we love,
0: cats are the best. This is one of yeah. our bonding we subjects. We bonded
1: over our pussies. Oh. We really did. <laughs> We're back
0: to pussies.
1: <laughs> what am I like? I'm not, honestly. I'm like, I need to like rain it in. right? Be, good. No, you don't, Be don't, good. don't rein it in. Be good. No, no don't, don't rain it in. Don't rain it in. We all
0: need more fun and laughter and levity <coughs> and talking about vaginas and all that jazz. That's, it's it's hugely important. Obviously, you, you talk through all different areas of mm-hmm. your life, but for the people listening now who think, oh, I want to like myself more, yeah. I want to have more self compassion, what is the starting point? Yeah. What was the change for you in thinking, I know that this is going to help me so massively Mm -hmm. if I love and accept myself, knowing that I can cope with any situation because I've got my own back. It's so important and not many of us do it.
1: I think I talk about, again, this, and my sister was really a game changer for me in the sense that she's always had this really innate sense of self-worth and that's beautiful. And I was born with a disability and although I was equally born with this kind of, I am freaking amazing and I genuinely used to, that as a child. I loved what I call my uniqueness. I loved the fact that I used to get free stuff as a child, you know, like, you know, people used to gush over me and go, oh, isn't she cute? Of course, that was kind of tinged with patronizing, you know, pity and undertones. But for me as a child, I was like, I am the center of attention and I love it. (laughs) Like literally, I was like, if people, why aren't people approaching me? Why aren't I getting free things? Why aren't I getting all this gushing? And it's only over years when people have told me that, part of my identity, my disability identity, which is, you know, a huge part of me, a part of me that I'm very proud of, you know, only because they've gone, oh, oh, what a shame, what a shame she's disabled, and oh, she won't do that, and oh, look at, you know, look at your scars, or oh, look at that, and it's only because they have made me feel over the years that I should feel ashamed, that innate sense of self-worth slowly chipped away and i think that's that's fine because you know again i'm a human being and you what do they say you know if you label someone a certain way that often turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy you know if you you know what is it microaggressions are described like dying by a thousand paper cuts Mm. you know so absolutely like anyone as a youngster as a teenager i went through my very dark moments but what i've learned over the years is switching up how you view a situation and I talk about one incident where, as a teenager, I was probably about 16, 17. I think it's a hard time for anyone. But I would say that I definitely had depression. Definitely, you know, was in a not a great place at all. There was a lot of things going on in my life, um, not just linked to my disability, you know, home life and and so You'd forth. You'd lost your dad by
0: this point yeah, as well. Yeah, you know,
1: I was, um, and my I mum mean, was struggling and there was a lot going on. Yeah. And my mum and my sister dragged me to Ikea. And I was like, oh, I just don't want to go. You know what it's like. And I just felt like everyone was staring at me. Now, I'm a wheelchair user. I'm three foot something tall. I've got curved bones. I do look different. Like, I look different. Like, there's no way of saying I look different. And people can stare and glare, and, and they do. And I remember bursting into tears in the car park, just absolutely exhausted and just fed up and frustrated because still deep down inside i was like i'm wonderful i am wonderful but why why can't the world see that and it annoyed me because i was like what do you see when you look at me because i i genuinely love myself but you keep telling me time and time again that i shouldn't and i remember just being in absolute bits sobbing in the car park And although I was in this deep depression, one thing that always gave me comfort and something I always enjoyed was fashion and makeup and, you know, kind of looking, looking, you know, fabulous all the time. And that never wavered. And I remember, I don't, I can't remember what I was wearing, but I definitely remember I was wearing, I had bright red lips. And my sister, who God bless her, and she doesn't mind me saying this, she's got the worst dress sense ever. (laughs) Like, honest to God, like... It, like, i just be like, really? And she knelt down next to me, she went, has it ever occurred to you that when people are looking at you, they are looking because you look fucking amazing, you know? And that took me aback. First of all, because my sister was giving me a compliment and we absolutely didn't really get on when we were younger. And it, I just thought, well, yeah, I do. Like, I do look amazing. And maybe... They do. And it's so funny. I was on another podcast last night. I know, controversial. I will allow it. controversial. Only for (laughs) you. (laughs) But with um, another disabled person. And we had a similar conversation. And she was like... That is so true. I had someone on a train staring, staring, staring at me. And then as they got up to leave, they went, I'm really sorry to disturb you, but where did you get your shoes from? I love them. And I, whatever situation I am now in, I kind of put myself in that frame of mind. Look, if 10 people stare at me on the street, probably nine out of 10 of them are ignorant and they are kind of being nasty or they're being rude or they're being ableist or they're being uneducated about disability. But I like to think in my mind that if that one person is actually like, oh, my God, I love your handbag, you know? And I st- I like to think of that in everything I do. And I think that is one of the reasons I wanted to work in television, because when i got one of my big breaks so to speak in a you know chocolate commercial people would come up to me and be like can i have a selfie oh my god you're that girl from from that and it wasn't about i don't see your disability because that's a whole different subject it was more about connecting as a human because they were excited that they saw someone from the telly irrespective of who yeah. they are and so i again you know in every situation i just i, I take a step back And I go, okay, don't go down that self-loathing, you know, that negative bias route that we all are inherently driven to do because that's what we do. You know, we get a million nice messages and then you get one one troll and you sit there at night going, oh, my God, oh, my God. my yeah. Yeah. And I look at it rationally or as rationally as I can in that moment. And, you know, if people are staring at me, I normally stare at them back and smile. And that weirds about as well. They're like, oh, what do I do now? And they're like, you can smile back. Um, and I think the fact that I'm an northerner and I like to chat to anyone helps. And, and that's worked for me. It doesn't always mean that I don't have bad days. And believe me, when I'm on my period... Geez, like you know, yeah. right? Look at me the wrong way, and I will run you over with my wheelchair. <laughs> I thought about getting like cattle prods on my wheelchair, my power chair, and then I thought, could
0: that constitute GBH? Is that intent? <laughs> is that intent too. or what? I don't know. I think it is because you've you've intended Pre, to, hurt, to hurt, premeditated, premeditated. You've you've put those things on. What if I wasn't for... aware they were on there, just they disappeared? That could be a loophole. Mm. That could be a loophole. The fact that I've mentioned it now on your podcast. <laughs> Yeah, might underwrite that one. But this is the thing because, uh, you know, it's a very different situation when you've got Mm. certain people with ignorant attitudes, like you've just talked about, microaggressions, ableism, patronising language. Yeah. You have to be extra strong to then challenge that because we've all got that propensity to self-loathe and to, you know, talk badly to ourselves in our heads. But Mm. when you've got other people... Not understanding who you are as a person mm-hmm. and having a level of ignorance or a lack of understanding, that's exhausting for yeah. a start. That's yeah, an exhausting, exhausting situation. And you you cover a lot of that in the book, which, again, is a whole other layer of the book is, you know, you're not sort of educating people. Listen up. This is what you need to know. But you're you're teaching people about your life and, yeah. and what it means to be a disabled woman and and what that means when dealing with other people's ignorance and ableism that's mm-hmm. that's a whole other layer of yeah. strength i think to to bolster your own self-worth i used to
1: say so before i moved to london 10 years ago um i went to university and then i became a teacher and i was like oh, this isn't that wasn't right for me but i i had quite a basic existence in the sense of i was not involved in any of the activism i wasn't about trying to change the world i wasn't about educating i was just kind of me, authentically me, and I suppose as a byproduct, people learnt from me without me, as you said, being vocal about it or being online or being that educator. And you know, I faced in a disabling world, I faced all these barriers every day. And sometimes I think if I look back because now I'm like this big, you know, game changer, and I and I'm I'm not afraid to go. No, that is not right, and this is what you should be doing. And I'm I'm very much vocal about that. And I'm, I'm proud of that side, but I look back and go things were weirdly simpler before. Because if I face discrimination, if you invited me to, I don't know, a coffee shop and I got there, and then they said, No, you can't come in because you're a fire risk, because you know, there's too many people here. That might not happen when the coffee, no, it did actually happen in a little coffee shop. Um, so it was too busy, and they, they said, You can't come in, or or whatever, you know, like the lift's broken, or they're or, just not around, or they're and just the they're or whatever. And of course, you know, these barriers. Barriers, disabling barriers look different depending on your yes. disability yes. Uh, I'm talking specifically as f- from a physically disabled woman I would just go all right then Fern, let's just go next door because they seem to have whereas now I'm like get the manager yeah why and I'm taking pictures and I'm uploading them onto Twitter <laughs> and I'm tagging people in and I'm you know going let's let's get this going and I I know deep down inside that is where my life was heading anyway and I love that aspect and I feel like I going back to that innate sense of self and confidence I believe that I'm not necessarily a religious person but I do believe my my purpose on this earth is you know to be your gobby little git who's gonna speak up for other people you know I've been given that gift and I will sure as hell be that be that um, role model and be that person if people want me to be it. And also, I you know, I, I do I do love it and I, I feel that that's my strength. I've not got many, you know, like raw talents. I'm rubbish at music and, um, you know, like I was rubbish at maths. But what I am good at is talking a lot and kind of fighting for other people and talking on behalf or giving other people that confidence. But, you know, a lot of disabled people that I know particularly might not have that voice. And again, you know, talking recently about... Care and support. I get a support worker, and you know, social care is not free. I pay a lot of money towards it. The carers don't get paid a lot, so a lot of people don't really take the job seriously or understand the importance of giving disabled people autonomy, and you know, and seen it as like a, a vocation rather than oh, well, you know, I just pop over and help some disabled person out now and again. Like there's there's a real poor culture towards you know working with disabled people, but you know, like having that voice to even to talk to someone who's caring for you and having that strength to say actually you know what would be great would be this rather than this and I know a lot of my friends even struggle with that so if I can be if I can be on tv and if I can be you know doing what I'm doing and giving them the courage and the strength to articulate themselves without fear of repercussion without fear of being labeled as this you know moaning disabled person then yeah I need to keep keep doing it even if it means you know now and again I do feel burnout but I think what's nice and I think the book was very cathartic for me to write not only did it help structure my life in a way (laughs) I was like oh that's why I reacted like that that's interesting oh yeah you can you
0: can work through everything in in the process of writing a book it's wonderful
1: but I think now looking at my life now I am wanting to do more things for me And managing how I am still a voice and a role model for others, but without that not impacting my own physical and mental health, and also you know, unfortunately, and you'll know this when you are in the public eye or when you stand for something and when you want to make social change, there's no off switch, and people and people don't think that weirdly, (laughs) weirdly they don't actually see you as a real person. A lot of the time and they think that you are there to serve and to be that voice all the time and I think it's managing that and I think the pandemic and writing this book has made me reflect and go do you know what I'm not giving up my charity role or anything but actually
0: I need to start living for me a little bit more. Well you have to hold back something for yourself Mm. so you know because it is so depleting energetically what Mm. you're doing and it being twenty four seven, you really need that but I think There's a really specific line in the book that I love that I actually underlined, which relates to all of this. And you say, never back down from what you need. Mm -hmm. But then it's a complicated situation because you've also talked about being a bit of a people pleaser previously, which I am hugely. And it brings me so much panic to think I have to ask for something to be different or yeah. ask for change or ask for something. Mm-hmm. But that's something that you've really had to get over yeah. and deal with and go, look, this is what yeah. I need. Let, let's just get yeah. it sorted. And I'm
1: finding my voice now, particularly working with broadcasts, because there's a yeah. lot of work that needs to be done to ensure that, you know, disabled people... So. You know, that's one in five people. That's a big proportion of the population, you know, and disability doesn't just look like me, i.e. physically disabled, and that needs to be represented on screen, behind screen, and that needs to be at senior, you know, levels of, of work. So I work with a lot of broadcasters as a consultant to try and, you know, ensure that. But even me as a presenter, I've become more vocal in my needs, and it doesn't always go down right. Well, it doesn't always... Um, because, you know, it takes more time sometimes when mm. you're in a wheelchair and you might need rest breaks and you might need a different venue because the venue is not accessible. So it's been brave and it's saying this is what i deserve yeah and this is actually not even what i deserve this is what it says in the law yeah that you need to provide me i think we forget that it's like oh it's not it's the moral thing to do and it's great to help disabled people it's like hello little thing called the equality act here that you you are completely ignoring
0: but you know the reality is and i'm being brutally honest it doesn't always go down well yeah, this uh, is what didn't Brunet Brown say something I totally get it wrong, but when you speak your truth, which is what we should mm-hmm. all be doing, you're gonna piss people yeah. off. Absolutely. It's just how it is. There's no getting around yeah. that. I um. So
1: when I deliver like my training, I always say, particularly to senior members of staff, because they tend to be more of the harder people to sway. Mm-hmm. shall I say, I get. I say, leave your ego at the door. <clears throat> mm-hmm. There's no room for ego in in this cultural shift, this change that we so desperately need. It's not going to get anywhere if you speak for disabled people. If you think that what you've been doing for x amount of years is the right way to behave, because it's it's not. Yeah. And you've brought me in and you've you know you've asked disabled people you brought us to the table, you know, and it's taken us decades to get to the bloody table so now we're here, you shut up, leave your ego at the door and listen to us yeah you know because that, that's that's the only way it's gonna work we have um a mantra in um in the disability community that came out from the civil rights movements, and it's you know it's nothing about us without us. And it's like, you know, disabled people need to be at the heart of everything, you know. Um, and that's where we go wrong. The amount of accessible bathrooms I go into and I look around and go, well, well clearly no one disabled
0: designed Designed this. it, no.
1: So, yeah, it sometimes feels like you take 10 steps forward and then 10 steps back. But what keeps me going is when I talk to my deaf, disabled and neurodivergent friends and they say that, you know, I'm not taking full credit but other people who are influencers like myself with disabilities you know that They've made a positive impact in one area of their life, and that you know. And I will get lovely messages. I'm sure you do as well. You know, you can be have, yeah, have a really crappy day, yeah. you know, and then you'll get this one message on social media, yeah. And it'll be from a parent. It'll be from a disabled person, or what? And you
0: go, well, thank you for writing about that. Yeah. Well, thank you for this. And That's I think, so meaningful. Yeah, it you have absolutely that is. true connection. And I yeah. think even if you are having a shit day, you can go like every bit of this is worth it for that that sort of payback
1: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
0: Another attribute you're very proud of that, again, I think is something that most of us desire but don't ever quite nail. I'm wondering what you, where you're going with this one. Taking risks. Ah, yes. Yeah, Risk taking never, never... is it's huge. and. You know, many of us are very, we we try and just avoid them at all costs because we will write a pros and cons list or we'll think of the worst case scenario. But, you know, back in the day, you know, you talk about this story of moving to mm-hmm. London and that being a huge risk in every possible way and not a smooth, easy situation. No. Even finding the right flat for you to be mm-hmm. able to live in mm-hmm. was very, very stressful. But you're always willing, seemingly, to throw yourself into it and go, I'm up for change, I'm up for taking yeah. a risk.
1: Yeah, it's gotten harder as I've gotten older. I'm not going to lie th- to you, but I think happens. everything does. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm, I'm, I say yes and then go, shit. <laughs> it was a bit like when you went, Sam, do you want to write a book? And I went, I can't say no to Fern <laughs> cotton. And then I sat down, like, days after, and I went, oh, got crap, I've got to actually write, I it. write a book now. Whole book. But I like saying yes to things, I like challenging myself, and I like seeing where th- how things evolve. And I think, you know, the fear of rejection or the fear of failure is more powerful and more consuming and more debilitating than if you actually give something a go and then it doesn't work out, and I think I say in the book. and I was actually quite proud of myself for writing this. I hope I didn't like, you know, get it from somewhere else because you know when you read something, <laughs> and then you and then you have like you dream or you dream. It's yes, a Yeah. Up? Anyway, I'm just gonna, totally gonna say, yeah. I, I came up with it. You know, the grass isn't always greener, but it doesn't mean you can't make it grow. And I think. When people look at me, they find my life potentially fascinating, you know, this inspirational, and, you know, they see the determination and they see that, you know, I'm a go-getter, I'm a risk-taker, etc. And I think what I've highlighted in the book is, yeah, I'm definitely all of those things, but it doesn't mean that when I've said yes and I've, you know, believed in myself, things go hunky-dory. No. believe me, some of the things that I'm most proud of, as in moving to London, like literally quitting my job, didn't have a job to come to with London... I'd you were a teacher at this point, yeah, right? Yeah, I was yeah. working in a school. Um, I'd only started living independently probably two years. I'd only started, like, making a cup of tea for myself independently for maybe two years before I then packed up my job and moved 200 miles away from my family, you know, and friends and lived on my own in London. And it was that moment where I was like, wow, can't believe you've done that. And that was that, you know, re- re- on reflection gone, can't believe he did that, Samantha. That's just, like, mind-blowing. But the years that followed were actually some of the most heart-wrenchingly hard, mind-bendingly difficult and exhausting the years that I doubted myself probably the
0: most. What do you so in those moments right because I'm really fascinated about this. So so you moved to London mm. as you said it was stressful you were house sharing. Yeah. It, you didn't have a, a proper room at, at first you were sleeping in a front room because it was the only accessible flat <laughs> you could find. Yeah. And it wasn't going the way that you'd hoped at at the start of of this sort of new chapter of your life. When you're mulling over Mm. on a bad day, saying or in that situation, when do you know whether to stick it out or to retreat and go back to what is familiar? Because I think many people out there experiencing change Mm. or making decisions, that will be on their mind. Do I stick with this? Or or do I give up? When do I give up? Or Mm. do I just keep on ploughing forward with this dream desire or idea how do you know the difference
1: so being a people pleaser can be positive and negative mm. and i and i call i call it like my alter ego samantha the stubborn samantha and the stubborn samantha came about because i wanted to prove the world wrong i wanted to show that disabled people could do all the things that i'd been constantly told that i couldn't and in many situations that has been beneficial because I've been like you know I'm going to do this to prove you all wrong but London was different because yes there was an element of that because you know I I told my mum and I said you need to sit down I've got some news and she thought don't tell me you're pregnant I went no (laughs) but I'm moving to London you know like so for me London was the first thing in my life that was for me yes there was an element of okay i'm going to do it because i you you will think i will not be able to do it but london was my baby was my project was something that i had dreamt about over and years and years and over and over, and I wanted that life change. And I think that is again being very reflective and doing that switch around of of of, of how you think. You know, you sit back and you go, w- "What am I doing this?" In, in your darkest moments, when things aren't going right, when you're living on beans on toast, when you know you're living with really crappy flatmates or or whatever, you know what I mean? Or your cat your cat is eating something, you got to take him to the vet, and yeah. you, you've not got the money because you know, and you think is it all worth it and I think you need to sit down there and actually be very honest to yourself and go, who am I doing this for? What whose dream is this? Is this because my my parents want this this for me? Is it because my religion dictates this? Is it because as a woman I feel like I need to I need to outperform my yeah. you know X, Y, and Z. And I think that is what kept me in London as long as it did because I knew I was doing it for me and my future and my future happiness, yeah, and that made everything worth it. Mm. I mean, and at the time, I didn't think so.
0: No, I'm sure but, but, but thank but... God you pushed through because yeah. your life became utterly extraordinary yeah. throughout this process. I mean, it was like, well, thank you. It is. I mean, some <laughs> of the stories. I mean, but you had all of these crazy, you know, some serendipitous moments mm-hmm. happen. But you've ended up. You've had such a roller coaster of a career. With, you know, you've been in Boy George's music video, worked with Paloma Fay, the Maltese <laughs> advert that we've all seen And you Uncle Eamon as well. Uncle, oh. a- Working with Uncle Eamon Holmes, Aww. who you, we both absolutely adore, and starring in a film, winning a, an acting award. Like all of these brilliant things happened. So thank God yeah. you stuck it up. But I mean, yeah. in those moments of doubt, because I know that they're threaded through mm. all of these great moments, and you actually say at times when you were having peak success, mm. that's when you doubted yourself yeah. the most. What helped you not let that doubt become completely debilitating? I th-
1: I think I, I've always wanted to be successful. And when I say successful, that looks different for everyone else so so when I talk about my success I mean you know living independently as independent as someone can be I don't think I live independently because I have outside support and I have an adapted flat so you know so that's I think even independence is a bit of a loose term anyway but I think I always knew where I was going to be and I needed to hold on to that I think also being that voice for other people and and particularly because I was working for charities as well and being around, being around young disabled people and seeing myself in them. And also, uh, you know, knowing one day that I wanted to become a mother and challenging myself and pushing through a lot of those hard times, you know, was kind of proving to myself, even getting a cat. I got a cat because I wanted to prove that I could look after another being because, you know, I want to be a mother, but no one's ever asked me if I want to be a mother because they just assume I can't do it. And I think it's always been this tug of war with society, with my own doubts, with my own aspirations, and, and trying to make them all mish and and match together, you know, to to ensure that I stay true to what I really want to do Mm. and and I I knew I'd be successful and I think I I think the opening bit of the book it says you know I always knew this day would come writing a book but I always knew this day would come that I would be I suppose oh it sounds a bit wanky doesn't it a public figure but what I'm saying to say is I knew I would be someone that people would know and people would potentially look up to and I would make social change so I always knew that and I think when you know something so deep down inside. It's hard to it's hard to let that go.
0: Yeah. It's hard to let that yeah. go. It helps you push through the challenging yeah. times. And I know another very practical tip you've got is to write a list of past mm. achievements, to yeah. remember, look all the great shit I've have done mm. already. Like mm. that's such a good practical tip and I've never done that, but yeah. I think it's in those moments which we all have of imposter syndrome Mm. doubt whatever it might be to look back and it hasn't got to be work accolades but looking back to all the brilliant achievements you've had throughout your life friendships you've made Mm. you know risks that you've taken whatever it is that's such a good personal reminder that we're capable of much more than we think we are and
1: i think it's you know that's something that you can do yourself but i think it's just looking out for signs signs that you have got this so i i in my darkest times in London, you know, at times where I definitely wanted to give up, times where I was probably drinking a little bit too much and going out a little bit too much. Yeah, we think much, we've been in the know? same club at the same time yes, previously. possibly? <laughs> Back but in the we day. can't remember. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't know whether it's my dad. I don't know whether it's divine intervention or whatever. I've always been at my lowest and then all of a sudden. So I'll give you an example. I remember I did a magazine article and it just never seemed to come out and I was I would say this my one of my lowest really low low points um wouldn't get out of bed and then all of a sudden my phone started pinging going crazy I, I I eventually got up to look at the phone and everyone was like oh you're in this magazine it's amazing and it was like nearly two years later or something ridiculous like that and that just was like right Sam Get your shit together. And I, and I allow myself, and, I, and again, when I speak to my disabled friends, because being disabled can be difficult. It's not inherently a bad thing. Our lives aren't tragedies. But having to constantly think and battle attitudinal barriers, physical barriers, you know, constantly, as you said earlier, it can be draining. Having yeah. to constantly say, these are my needs and not feeling like a burden, it can be really, really over overwhelming. But, you know, for me, I allow myself... I give myself my violin days, as I call them. So they can be absolute... I turn into a brat. I, like, throw my toys out of the pram. I'm I'm a really vile individual to be around for a couple of days. Like, I hate the world. I hate everyone. If you, you know, like, if you talk to me, I will just, like, rip your throat out. I'm just, like, <laughs> oh, you don't know what it's like to be me. And I just go for it. And, like, you'll you'll probably tell when I have these because my tweets get really, like, aggressive. Yeah, you're into you know? It. Yeah, Twitter's this. a good
0: place for that sort yeah, of anger. Yeah, absolutely. Um... And then I go, right. I'm fine. Two A's. Right, Samantha. That's so healthy. I don't think we allow... You know, I don't think we give ourselves the space to just be a bit of a dick Dick. every now and (laughs) again. We sort of beat ourselves up, oh, I should be some sort of saintly character who's moving through life so peacefully and making sure everyone else is okay. It's like... No, we there are days where we feel like shit yeah. and it's okay. I think giving yourself two days, that's a good amount of time. I mean space. I mean that was me that was me being like sometimes it can be a bit
1: longer, but I think it's, it's about but I think it's about checking in and being within your thoughts and going, Okay, okay, right. Okay, like you've you've done that bit now. Now where you're getting to is not healthy and it's not being productive. So don't get stuck in it. No. No, and I think that's where people go perhaps wrong because they, they're like, well, this is really bad because I, I can snap myself out of it even though my situation hasn't changed. Yes, it's a and mindset. It, it's a mindset, isn't it? And it's about being mindful of, of your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions and allowed to, to, to express those emotions. And I think particularly when you're a woman, you know, you can't show emotion, you can't show you're crying because you're weak or this, that and the other. And then you add, you know, the disability onto that as well. But it's it's about going, okay, right, things still aren't how they need to be but I now need to take charge. I now need to be proactive and pragmatic. And what I normally find is if I allow myself those two, three days a week of really kind of, I mean, it doesn't normally last a week because I think that's danger zone. But, you know, when I do that, what I find is I come back with a vengeance because I've rested, I've allowed my emotions to come out, and then that sassy firecracker I'll show you Samantha comes out and I've got, I've got, I, write, I start writing lists and I get glitter pens out and I'm like, <laughs> right, and I'm on the phone and I'm multitasking and I'm, I'm bossing people around, going, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we're going to, you know, and I'm firing emails off. And I think I can only do that because I've allowed myself to be a human and I've allowed myself to say that sometimes things are hard and things are shitty and things are unfair. Yeah. You know, I want my little violin out. Because yeah. life is hard yeah. and no one, particularly when you, you know, I, I, the hardest thing, can I be honest, when I, being a child with a disability is a whole different ball game from being a disabled adult. Particularly if you're born with a disability, as I said earlier, you get cooed over, you get special treat. I call it special treatment in the sense of, you know, people, people warm to you more and you know you you do get you know these kind of lovely free gestures and and people are much kinder to you and you we see it and we see it in the shape of like inspiration porn you know disabled people get objectified and 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 that is that is glorified as a child and then all of a sudden and this happened to me as soon as I turned 18. So I used to get hydrotherapy. So hydrotherapy is like physiotherapy being in a pool, a heated pool. I used to get that once a week. And that was for me, someone with brittle bones who is a full-time wheelchair user. So I don't stretch out. I'm proper chair shaped. Like if you pick me up, I'd be like chair shaped, you know, (laughs) Um, And uh, which makes interesting in the bedroom. I'll tell you (laughs) that. But I used to get this and I used to love it and it was beneficial for me. Like, health-wise, literally, as soon as I turned 18, they took it away. And this happens a lot. Provisions that were once there, you know, as a child, get taken away because you are now deemed an adult. I've been told, get a loan out if you want a new wheelchair. Wow. You know, the wheelchair I'm sat in at the moment was four and a half grand. I paid that for that myself. My power wheelchair at home was nine and a half thousand pounds. Luckily, the Brittle Bone Society fundraised for that. Wow. You know, but you most of the time you' would get all that provisions as a, as a child mm. and I think this is a, it's a sobering reality. I think going to adulthood anyway for anyone irrespective of who you are is challenging because all of a sudden, depending on you know how your par- how supportive your parents are mm-hmm. or whether you go to uni or you don't like it can be a shock in the area but when you 've got you know the added bonus of a disability, all of a sudden. Those people who were like, oh, be kind to her because she's a disabled kid, are now telling you to kill yourself online as a troll. Because you're a drain on society and you're a burden now. Get a job, do this. Why aren't you a Paralympian? And I worry that even I find that difficult sometimes because I'm like, hang on like hang on a minute. You have put me on a pedestal as a as a child. I didn't ask to be put up there and now i'm an adult and you see me as a drain and a burden or incapable or you know something to to kind of fear or x y z and you know you you won't give me the same job opportunities we don't even have marriage equality as a disabled person you know none of this gets told to us when we're children and but all of a sudden you you're supposed to just
0: like go there you go off into yeah. the off into the world i mean if it's again one and we've try to talk about and focus on so many of these huge, mm. overwhelming systemic problems on this podcast. And, you know, most of the time, I'm lucky enough to talk to brilliant people like yourself who are who are out there on the front line dealing mm. with this daily and talking about it and putting all your energy into activism to create this change. And I I can't imagine the frustration when yeah. things aren't progressing, when things... Yeah aren't moving forward in the direction they should and again it's always hard to talk about mental health and and the problems the emotional problems that these sorts of barriers are creating Mm -hmm. you can't talk about that without bringing in politics and you know when you're talking about systemic issues it's like we have to go to the top 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 and clearly not enough is being no. done still. No. And it's, as you said, attitudinal as well, but that still filters yeah. down from the so top. I get often asked, like, well, things are changing, right? No, it's not
1: even a question. Like, people, people tell me mm. things are changing, right? And it's this kind of performative allyship, isn't it? So, so people want to be patted on the back because they think that, that they are making a positive change you know i often get told like and we've got a ramp like it's you know we should be grateful yeah. and pa- give me a pass on the back because i'm doing something positive and i and i kind of I'm, i struggle with that question because like things are getting better to what 10 years ago 20 years ago well i should hope so because everything in society has moved on but disability still seems to be the one that is very much an afterthought yeah and you know and and I think, you know, I work with a whole diverse group of individuals. You know, I get to do a lot of panel discussions and, and and I meet some, like yourself, some amazing, diverse people from all different minority backgrounds, et cetera. And it's that danger of, you know, it's not a victim game. It's not a game of top trumps who who gets more discriminated against. No. But, but when we talk about disability, what other member of society can't go into a bar because they can't access it, or can't, or, or can't even access higher education because the university doesn't want to change one of the buildings because aesthetically that might ruin the aesthetics of a building, you know. Or, or they said that. I mean, I could, I, I, I ordered a takeaway the other day, and the guy who delivered it, he stood at the door and he shook his head. He went, oh, "Such a shame. God made me perfect, and he made you like you." What? He went, "I feel so sorry for you." And I was like, "Can I just have my fucking food?" Oh. And um, and then he was like. No, such a shame. You don't live on your own, but how do you live on your own? I'm like, so, so. What you know? Ask, ask. Who, who, who know. else? Who else would have to go through that? And I, and I think that you know, I, I just want, I just want my role to be someone who says it as it is, who doesn't yep. sugarcoat it, who's not afraid to say like, you know, you're not doing enough, and no, things haven't changed. Things haven't changed. <laughs> you might see a couple more of people like me on telly, but that doesn't mean things have changed. No. Because no. I still struggle day to day fighting for my rights every single
0: day. Mm. And you're someone with a big platform. Yeah. And, and, you, and it's still you're, you know, this is 24-7, mm. as you said earlier. And there are so many people out there, millions of people in yeah. the disability community mm. who don't feel heard, don't feel seen mm. and certainly don't feel supported. Absolutely. Because it's, the support isn't there. No, it's not. Absolutely not. I mean... <laughs> I do is to bring down the tone. No, but this is important stuff. Like this is important stuff and we can't shy away from any of it. You know, there's a really important point you made in the book, is that we can't shy away from Mm -hmm. using the word disabled or disability. Mm -hmm. Like as you say in the book, this isn't a dirty word. This isn't a word we should sort of whisper or say under our breath. No, this is a word that it's a neutral word. Mm -hmm. We say it and we and we are comfortable with it Mm -hmm. because the more we have that discomfort, or we're not sure if we should say it or we shouldn't. Mm. that is just gonna keep propelling yeah. all of that undercurrent of ableism that is already yeah. at a huge huge on mass level, so I, we've got to we've got to have these conversations absolutely. and I, and we and I want to listen yeah. to you, and I want to learn i want to because you know I'm always coming from the point of view in all these chats, yeah. Tell me tell me everything. Yeah, I need to know. Exactly. And I'm gonna get it exactly. wrong. I'm gonna fuck up. Absolutely. I'm not and gonna... I do too. Yeah, we all I do say the we wrong all do. But, uh, but 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 th- but I think there is not that we're going right, this is gonna change everything, but no. there's great wealth and value mm. in us just having decent, honest conversation. Yeah. Yeah. There is there's it could be a spark for someone. It could mm. be like I remember you texting me saying you've got to watch this Netflix documentary, oh, yeah. Crip Camp. And so I did. And it was probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I laughed. I wept and wept with happiness or happy tears throughout of these beautiful friendships forming Mm -hmm. and romances and the freedom and the music. It's the most wonderful documentary. I urge everyone to watch it. But we have to keep talking about these subjects listening is the most important thing I'm not here to rub it on I'm here to listen and it could be a great springboard for somebody to learn more or to go off and have a think about their own shop or their own whatever it is their own business or however however they're working it's you Know th- there's value in, in this, but I, I think that's
1: the theme of my book. So I know we've spoken a lot today about disability, and, 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 and I'm grateful because that is something I want people to talk more about, and that is part of me that I love about myself, you know. But I, I think the overarching theme of you know, you are the best thing since like spread is first of all, you know, tell yourself that daily that you are tell the best yourself, thing, yeah. but also that you know, disabled people are people we experience love we experience loss we want to be respected we want to be heard we want to feel valued we want to have a good giggle we want to mess up you know and I hope I hope if I've done my job right irrespective of who you are who reads the book you know I want you to go away and go yeah humans are humans yeah and it's that simple yeah so so where's the issue like why why is it such an issue I get a lot of people saying, oh, well, we still feel very uncomfortable and I don't want to say the wrong thing to a disabled person. Do you know what? There's no time for ignorance anymore, you know? There absolutely isn't because you've got the internet, you've got wonderful people like me who will, who will tell you if you're prepared to listen. Your uncomfortability pales into insignificance to my day-to-day. So do you know what? If you say the wrong thing, if you say to me, you know, I don't know, walk this way Samantha I'm not going to be offended and if I am offended do you know what I'll be able to say do you know what I actually prefer you say roll this way you know I mean I wouldn't because I mean that's a bit random but <laughs> but you know like let's just be humans yeah. and let's just be honest and go right that's that and and I, you know again if you Put your own insecurities about interacting with someone with a disability above that human connection. You could be missing out on, you know, having a new boyfriend, girlfriend, best mate, work colleague. The worst thing you can do is ignore someone with a disability because you th- think you're that scared. you might. Yeah, you're scared. Yeah. Because we pick up, we pick up on that. Yeah. And we would rather you mess up than completely marginalise us and oppress us
0: and isolate us even more. You're so right. It's it's all about human connection I think on mm. mass that gets neglected in and outside of the disability community that mm. we're, we're scared and we're paranoid and we're scared of how we're coming across and we're scared of what people think about us after we've had an interaction yeah. with them rather than bypassing that to go oh I felt like we had a a connection yeah. there like we, I think we're all doing that all the time because mm. we, we're all, and I guess, you know, the obvious things, social media has probably yeah. heightened all of that for us that we're so worried what other people think about us mm. all the time. But we've got to aim for that human connection. Yeah. Like that's the that's where the gold is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not scary, am I? You're the least scary person <laughs> I've ever met. I mean, I've just, I've loved becoming mates with you. It's been, I didn't think. During the pandemic, I was going to make new friends, but I made so I many new friends. And I'm only just now starting to actually meet a lot of people. I've, I'm have i yet to properly meet John O Lancaster, who's become oh, another yes, mate over the last couple of years. He was at an event that I was at, but I'm going to meet him at the Happy Place Festival Amazing. this year. Uh, my friend Jambo, who I just met recently, another person <laughs> I've been talking to over the last couple of years. It's been a really good time, I think, for that human connection because mm. we all needed it more than ever, and just sort of like trying yeah. to get ourselves out there, even though we we're all stuck at home. So, I'm I'm so grateful that we've um, we've struck up such a friendship. It's
1: wicked. I know, right? You need to come and visit my cats now. Then, oh
0: my god, I've got to come and Bruno, Bruno honestly. And Lola. yeah I cannot wait. Honestly, I'm come gonna... on, <gasps> got Bruno a buggy. We'll take them out. I've seen a picture of this little buggy. I know. <gasps> Do they like going out and about? Well.
1: Then? And um, Lola just looked at me going, I'm not getting in that. But Bruno,
0: <laughs> Bruno, I go, go on your buggy and he jumps in now. It's oh, Bruno! <laughs> Bruno. <laughs> I was so up for this. Um, oh, it's been a joy talking to you. And I Likewise. feel utterly proud that Happy Place gets to publish your amazing book. Thank You're Thank you. are the best thing since sliced bread. It's uh, a deeply powerful book for anyone wanting to find that self-compassion, that self-love, that fun, that sense of levity. I mean, I laugh throughout the book. There's many wild stories stories that you tell and hilarious things <laughs> that you get stuck into. So go get the book. It's bloody brilliant and Samantha Rank, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we need to get a date in the diary immediately. I need to meet those cats and we probably need to carry on exploring the bizarre growth of other types of body hair too. Why not? Oh, Samantha, thank you so much for that chat. I just loved it. I loved meeting Samantha face-to-face for the first time. Samantha's book, You Were the Best Thing Since Sliced Bread, is published by us here at Happy Place Books, and it's out on the 21st of July. Go get it. I cannot wait for you to hear next week's episode. There is a lot of laughter, and there's certainly lots of learning too. Make sure you're back here for that one by following Happy Place on your podcast platform of choice. Until then, big thanks again to Samantha, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you. I love you very much. Chat soon.